We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is an episode that we did in June with former Premier League player and manager Jim McGilton. Uh, we did this alongside North American Irish coaches. Jim went into the Liverpool youth setup, has great perspective about it, and then discusses how that impacted his career later on, both as a player and a manager. Some brilliant stuff here. Uh, please let me know what you think at Gary Kareen on Instagram, at Gary Kareen on Twitter. We'll have a new series coming up very, very soon for the podcast. So I'm just going to put out the ones that we recorded during the lockdown. We also have a webinar coming up. Uh, I haven't done one in a while. It's going to be October 15th, and I'm going to present on video analysis and player feedback. So I put up a blog this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach website that is about North Carolina, University of North Carolina, and their pressing so far this season. Some things that I've seen some things that I've taken out of the press and book and I've kind of put them both together. There's a link at the bottom of that article and it is to register for the webinar. The webinar is free, so please join me there. And if you wouldn't mind giving the webinar a push, giving the podcast a push and giving the article a push, one of those, it would be much appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. Here is Jim. Enjoy. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Excited to have you on. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Gary. All right, first question for me is I want to talk about your time at Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, between the education of becoming a pro and then at such a time where the club was flying, it was a, it was probably the last time Liverpool, apart from now, were, were in the ascendancy, were, were a real force. And we hear so much about the boot room. What was it like from a young player's perspective? Do you know what? When they, when they saw me in 1990, they never recovered. They haven't won the league since then. So, uh, yeah, no, listen, when I went, there weren't many lads that went from Northern Ireland to, to Liverpool. So for me, going, it was a huge event. It was huge here too. But uh, it was surreal. One week, I'm watching Match of the Day. I'm watching Hansen. I'm watching McMahon. I'm watching Whelan, Dalglish. And the next week, I'm cleaning their dirty kit off the floor. You know, uh it was an it was an incredible it was an incredible experience from the moment I walked in. From the moment I walked in, you could feel that winning mentality, the history. We we trained it, we we met at the ground, we got a, a bus to Melwood, everybody traveled together. There was no uh there was there was no us and them scenarios. Uh but what I witnessed on a day-to-day basis was top class pros training with intensity. There was no secret. They trained with intensity. It was match day. And they did that four or five times a week. And they trained an hour and a half every day. Just good players, top, top players, uh, playing at the head of their game every day, every day. And I remember first week, lesson learned first week, Friday, getting ready for the game on the Saturday, 18 game on the Saturday. 
and it just happened running, running around walked in and I and I was just and he was chatting away how are you settling in yeah I'm grand I'm good uh, and I didn't know what to call him he says you call me Ronnie and I went okay Ronnie and he said uh, here's a tip for you he says be better than you were the day before he says and work off that no matter where you go what happens to you be better than you were the day before he says and that mentality of pushing yourself every single day he says train hard Whatever happens on a Saturday is a bonus for you. But every day is about training and perfecting your skills so that when you do walk onto the park, I hear so many things since then and books you read. That was me at 16, 16 years of age. And it was everything I dreamed it would be. Even preparation, mental preparation, going to Anfield, going to Liverpool. I had a certain skill set right, that, you know, that's perhaps suited the club. I was a schoolboy international and didn't go anywhere and it happened to be Liverpool and they saw something in me that gave me the confidence and also provided a platform for me to go and play even at 16 I realized that I had this set of skills I could pass the ball right and they saw that and what it emphasized to me was all the hard work prior to leaving Northern Ireland prior to leaving Belfast, the hours and hours, and you know this, the hours and hours under a lamppost, the hours and hours against a brick wall, constantly trying to perfect your first touch, constantly trying to perfect your receiving skills, your passing skills. Came to that head at 16 years of age when I entered, when I walked through Shanky Gates and in, in the Liverpool. It was just an incredible apprenticeship for me, living every day with top class pros, working their socks off every single day. Really interesting that article I was telling you about Irish News where it, I didn't know you were that close to breaking. You were on the bench at the Charity Shield. And yeah. You, and you thought that Leach was going to give you... Yeah. The, that's a brilliant story. Yeah, he, uh, he... Honestly, at that time, right, I, I, I was spoiled. I had the movies. Steve Stauntons was emerging. Gary Ablett's, uh, McManaman's, younger players coming through. You know, Tony Cousins just, just emerged as well. Uh who else was there? Mike Marsh was there. Uh, Nicky Tanner was playing. Stevie Harkness was playing. Jan Mulby was drifting in. You know, uh, there were other players that had to come in and get games. So I was playing every week. I was playing with really good players. And with really good players, the game's easy. And at Anfield in particular, teams were coming and it was case of chasing the tango. They couldn't get near us. And, they, and at that time, again, the, the game was so clear to me. It was just, uh, you know, I had pictures after pictures and things, you know, we prided ourselves in never giving the ball away. So when I went and I was training every day with the first team and I was loving it and I was, and I was just, oh, this is the next step, the next step. And I remember, I remember going in, we played particularly well on the Tuesday night and on the Friday I get, uh, I get the nod. Roy Evans had said to me, listen, uh, the gaffer wants to speak to you, go and see him. And I thought, oh, Happy days, happy days, this is it. How am I going to contact my mom and dad? How am I going to contact my mates? You know, playing Man City, I think it was Man City away or whatever it was. And uh, I walked in, Kenny's just taking off his boots and he and he says, all right, son. And, and I went, yeah, he says, things are going well. And yeah, he says, that's good. He says, uh, yeah, we've just sold you. What? And he says, no, no, you're, do you know where Oxford is? I went, where? He says, Oxford United, we, we've accepted the bid. And you're going to Oxford United? I went, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me I'm, I'm actually going to play or I'm going to, you know, no, you're out the door. Now, he, he was very kind, very generous. 
uh, in his comments, where you said, no, it's time for you to go and be a player. It's time for you to everything you've learned here. You can't play in our reserves anymore. Go and, go and be a professional footballer. And off I went. I remember leaving Anfield that day with my black bin bags and all my worldly possessions in it and driving to Oxford. I cried. I cried from the moment I left Liverpool till I went to Oxford and then realised once I got there, this is the start of a new adventure and it's the start. All the, all the fantastic work that had been done at, at, at Liverpool, I didn't want it to go to waste. I wanted to be a pro footballer, more, even more determined if that was possible to be to have a career in the game. And then when you came back and played that match, the debut for Southampton, uh, and then the story about, was it Evans and Moran were waiting for you after the match? Yeah, well. class. Mm. I I played for I played for Oxford United in a replay at Allen Road. We beat them three two. I happened to score the winner, and uh, Alan Ball had watched the game. Fifteen minutes, he said he never even watched the extra time. Fifteen minutes a game, and then he left. And uh, on the Wednesday and on the Thursday, I was on my way to Southampton the same. And they were playing Liverpool, ironically, on the Monday night leg on Sky. Alan Ball then throws me in the, in, in the game. Latez scores this unbelievable hat trick, snowing. Uh, I'm walking in. R- R- Ronnie Whelan, all of them were brilliant with me, absolutely brilliant. Uh, players were so gracious. Go to the bottom of the steps of the Dell, and Ronnie and Roy are there. And they waited and they shook my hands and they just said, Listen, well done, fantastic, delighted for you. Uh, and they didn't take losing well. They hated losing. The old money ball when they hated losing more than they enjoyed winning. And they they waited and they were I just thought it was so typical of them, so gracious of them. Didn't have to do it. Uh went out of the way to do it and it was brilliant and I loved it and I was so grateful for it. Very, very humbling experience. Yeah, let's let's talk about Alan Ball, because he's he's a figure that so much respect, legendary figure, but you don't hear a lot of stories about him as a manager. What was he like? He was infectious, right? He had this unbelievable passion for the game. And that was relayed every day in training. Listen, he was ideal for me as a midfield player. He's a, he was a, an unbelievable player, even then. You know, he could he get involved in the rondos and the circles. Never gave it away. Half a touch, if that's possible. He was so good, even then. Again, pictures all the time. So a lot of his drills, a lot of his drills were specifically around midfield drills. And for me, because the emphasis at that club and the only emphasis in that club was how are we going to get Latiz the ball in the final third where he was causing havoc. And he causes havoc from 35 yards out because he had this incredible shooting range and passing range and everything was geared around trying to get Matt the ball and in vital areas. So for me, it was an education. Listen, he had he had another say to him where if things weren't going so well, he used to throw the old World Cup medal out at you and uh, I played with back and bar and I played with Pele. Oh, well, well done. Did he do that? We didn't. So what's relevant there? You know, please, you're a wonderful player. I get that. But it ain't going to do me any good because uh, I need help here. And, you know, staying in the Premier League was our was the only thing really on the club's mind and on, on us as players. Uh, so he did have a lot, another say to him. He could be quite an angry little man at times too. But all in all, I enjoyed playing with him. His, 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 his training sessions were, uh, were, were, uh, were different. And they were, uh, they were thought-provoking and there was a lot of movement and, uh, and a lot of thinking in them. And I enjoyed them. I really did. And he, and he made me a better player. On that, 
the other side to him probably would be synonymous with Graham Souness. Like that's you hear about that former player mentality that, that struggled to connect to players. But what what was your experience working with him? I only had a year with him, and again, as a midfield player, he helped my game enormously. He said little things to me that made me think more about game, about being a midfield pivot, about at some stage the ball come through the centre of the park. Stand still. Sometimes just stand still there. Let the game go. You'll get the ball if you're clever enough. Uh, and he and 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 he was right. Even in the health the health skelter of the Premier League, moments when you stand still and the ball comes to you, things like, you know, so it, when a manager speaks to you, and sometimes they speak to you to, just to do one to evoke a, re- a reaction, another just to, as a flatterer, he, when he spoke to me, it was, it made, there was practical sense to it. So in the games, it happened. So it was reality-based learning. We talk about that. So I was learning off an incredibly, you know, talented midfield player, and, uh, and his insight into the game Again, helped me enormously. He had uh, he had his moments with, with players. He, he used to want to strangle the kids, but understood what a fantastic player uh, he was and, and an absolute asset to the club uh, in terms of survival in the Premier League. But he found it difficult at times to deal with his in, in that sort of regard because he saw this incredible talent and his thoughts was always about his work ethic. I remember, I remember we I, I was left out. They handed me the armband and then left me out. So what was the point in that? So 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 we we were going through a sticky spell, and he uh, he put two fullbacks in the centre of the park, two fullbacks, two dogs, and okay, tackling wasn't really in my contract. I get that. So uh, so we needed a few results. So away we went. So three or four games in, we win the games. So I'm sitting there, I'm fuming, delighted but fuming. I'm not playing. So I was still coming on, but fuming. So Terry Cooper, the legendary Terry Cooper, left back, England, right, Leeds. He's his assistant. And he says to me, I wouldn't be going near the gaffer at the minute. Don't be going there. He's in a good place. I went, ah, is he? Well, I'm delighted. I'm going in the same. Wouldn't do it. Don't do it. Nah, don't. Leave him. I said, nah, nah, no, nah, no, no chance. I'm going in the same. So I walked in. And Terry's like, Jim, don't go near him. Don't so I walked in and he's in the weights room and he was begging the weights, begging the weights, right? And I couldn't see him. So I walked in and so he's in the far corner, shirts off. And all I could see, right, was his biceps and the biggest scar, obviously he had the triple and they were bulging and the scar was bulging and his arms and his, and I went, he said, you want to see me? I went, not today, Gaffer, I'll see you tomorrow. I ran out, I ran out of the weights room. I thought, nah, nah, no. But I enjoyed him. And, and, and funny enough, our relationship was further strengthened when he, he was working in Qatar and I was working in Qatar and we used to enjoy meals out. And listen, he was tremendous stories, tremendous character, fantastic influence on me again, personally. Brilliant. Uh, let's talk about management. We were just, before we started recording, we were talking about Michael O'Neill and the speed of the, the championship. How difficult is it whenever the games are coming two games a week? Uh, how does how do you schedule training around that? How do you just? I mean, in comparison to the Premier League, how do you how do you pull that off? Good planning, obviously, good planning, uh, good recovery strategies, uh, making sure the players are well taken care of. Like the the difference, obviously, Megal's difference is so 
time preparing for games in between the international games. In the championship, you don't have that much time for recovery. So you're working on a game-to-game basis. And it's very difficult to then analyze your games. You know, you've got a, a, a very short window. And it's very difficult then to analyze individual players. You, you probably got to break them into units. And a lot of the work for players would be to go away and look at it themselves. That's why analysts and I are so, you know, it's like a, a, this fad in the game. They're, they're priceless. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're priceless. But it's the preparation is key. And uh, and it's and it's momentum. If you're on a winning streak, the momentum seems to carry. If you're on a losing streak, oh, it's it can be it can be depressing. Joe Royal used to say, coach coach players when they're winning because they don't care. Coach them when they're winning. If they're losing games, they don't want to be near. The, there's so much negativity, and because there's so much uh, social media and, and and speculation and coverage now, players get caught up in that. And if a negative mindset sets in, it it's like it's you know it it can spread like uh, wildfire, and you have to. So there's a fine balance, but Megan will have found that different because of the hectic lifestyle and the hectic schedules you have to have good people in place and you have a very strong program uh, in order to again get yourself ready for each each game as it comes along it's totally different you've been involved on northern ireland you were saying there northern ireland squads and and watching them on close and i've been on the bench uh, over the past 15 odd years when i used to go watch northern ireland whenever you were playing oh. Nowhere near, oh, nowhere near a European Championships or a World Cup. What's this current squad got that those teams didn't? I think you're being very hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we should have qualified in way back. I think it was 06. I think with that group, we were all playing in the Premier League and we wasted. That was a talented bunch of players that wasted an incredible opportunity. But you're right, the rest of after that, it was rubbish. Uh, what they got? I think they have a manager who's very meticulous in his planning. I think they have a manager who looks at the opposition, wears up the opposition's strengths and weaknesses, and then makes the players believe that they can win the game with their strengths. And uh, and he's just convinced the players that when they step on the park, I remember thinking they can win games. I remember thinking during that fantastic run-in for the Euros, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. You know, and and very few times I think over my time of actually even when I was playing, I wasn't I wasn't sure. Obviously, I was going in to win the game, of course. But I wasn't sure if I was going to win the game. I was convinced we were going to win games. I was convinced, and, and more importantly, so were the players. So it's easy putting up a PowerPoint presentation and telling you how you're going to win, and this is where they're going. This is their strengths, and this is play, players have managed the game. Their game management have been superb. And that's through practice and practice. That's through a two-year campaign, World Cup campaign, where they didn't win a game. They were unfortunate not to win games, but they were on a losing streak. I think I pointed out that Chris Brunt had been in the squad for how many years and hadn't been in a winning Northern Ireland team for something like two and a half years. Hadn't won a game for Northern Ireland for two and a half years, which is incredible. So you're turning up for international games not expecting to win. These guys are turning up to international games expecting to win or at least putting themselves in a position to win, to, 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 to compete in a major tournament, and then to lose out gnarly, uh, to go to another uh, major tournament, and now to be competitive again for a major tournament. He's done an incredible job. If you were to say that your team then, that, that team in the 90s, uh, missed a player 
was it was it, do you think it was down that you missed the it was the component on the pitch or off the pitch there because a lot of what you're saying there is it was the way you were managed and the mentality Listen, bit of both, have you a Healy? Have we a natural goal scorer? We didn't have a natural goal scorer. We had more workman-like goal scorers, if you like. We didn't create that many chances, if we're honest, Joe. And the chances that we did create, would a Healy have, have converted them? Probably, because he has proved that he could have. You know, you're always missing one or two. You know, we had exceptional players in Michael Hughes and Gillespie. Yeah. Philip Gray was around, you know, so we had good players. And Dowie was around. Lomas, Lennon, you know, Taggart. We had good players, you know, and uh, might have been the game is so much more advanced now. There wasn't an awful lot of analysis, you know, on opposition. There wasn't an awful lot of detail. I think the level of detail is certainly increased and giving players potentially more confidence. But at the end of the day, the, the game doesn't really change in terms of you personally. You cross the white line, it's your decision making. No matter what a manager does or says before a game, it's still your mentality when you walk across that white line. Once you cross that way, you become the decision maker. You get caught up in the emotion making. And what defines you as a player is the, the right decisions you make. The more right decisions you make on the football pitch, the higher the level you'll play. So we just didn't have we didn't have enough uh, about us, I think, just to get over the line. And that was a disappointment. And I don't know, because we had so many really good players, these guys now have being together, the nucleus of that team is being together. There was a real continuity in his in his selections because he didn't have a he hasn't got great depth. We never have had great depth. So his decision making, he was quite lucky in terms of like his selection. You know, let's be honest, if we if we don't if we don't have a, a Davis or we don't have a Johnny and maybe even a Cathcart now to a lesser extent without being disrespectful, then we're weaker side. Do you know that's just that's life with Northern Ireland, if you don't have your best 11, we potentially will struggle. Uh, and we've been fortunate in, in that our selection uh, has been very, very good and consistent. And that breeds confidence, breeds trust, it breeds self-belief. And also, once you start winning games, it's so important, it builds that momentum. Momentum is crucial in, in football. When you've come back and it's an opportunity to almost reverse engineer what you're seeing and what you've experienced in England and international yeah. football and now you're trying to create that. What do you think is the is the biggest thing that, that a youth player from Northern Ireland, is it the physicality, is it the technique? What what's your what do you think is the main thing that a Northern Ireland player, youth player needs to take on to make it across the water? Well, I, th I think it's a generational thing too because I, I, w I witnessed it at, at, at Ipswich over the course of a 10-year period in terms of watching young players develop and, it, and it's kind of a disappointment and resilience and practice, purposeful practice. I keep, keep going on about this. Uh, I think I think that uh, technically we've always produced really good players. I mean, you know that. We, we've always produced... Technically, the games program that we've put in place here has, has exposed the lads to games abroad, and tactically, we're more astute. Uh, we have played different systems, so they're aware of that, right? Physically, we're always going to struggle at times, right, because of the nature of the game and because of the nature of the programmes that are currently uh, designed in Northern Ireland. You'll each schedule train maybe once or twice a week for their club. What we managed to do was an implement, was to create a, a you know a programme where they were training with us and training you know, uh, with their club on top of 
you know, the games program on top maybe of the of Sunday program as well. So we, we create an increased contact time, but it's okay doing that if it's not with quality. We've tried to create a quality program that enable these kids to have the confidence that when they walk into a club in England or Scotland, the terminology even that's being used now, you know, uh, in terms of coaches speak, you know, a lot of coaches talk, you know, a lot of it's without being a game a verbal diarrhea, you know what I mean? Let's keep it simple for them, you know, uh, there is this, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis type. You know, I'm giving these kids hopefully an insight and uh, the academy's help, and we probably talk about that, but there's certainly the academy's help where it's, you know, every day, every day. It's their lack of intensity. I've seen that at Ipswich. It's kind of, you, you don't you don't smell sweat. Mm. I smell sweat in academies. I smell comfort. I don't see kids really, who really has that desire to be a footballer now? Because everything kind of way is done for them. I don't see kids come and practice, for example. I don't see and a real real practice in terms of like, you know, uh, deliberate, you know, with thought, with a game in mind, game related, you know, receiving skills, passing skills, shooting skills. You know, I don't see an awful lot of that now. I don't I don't feel that. And uh, and I don't know if it's just again, it's generational. Everything's instant, instant reward, instant satisfaction, instant gratification. Flipping, you go into Marxies, you get instant mashed potato and you get instant vegetables, instant coffee. You know, so everything's done, you know, so so where is the thought? Where is, you know, the, the loyalty in that, the loyalty to the game, the loyalty to practice? Who wants to really, really be, you know, a footballer? And the foundation, I say I was very lucky. My apprenticeship at Liverpool gave me an insight into hard work and what that hard work could pay off. And without the resilience and without the perseverance, you don't, yeah. you don't make it. And you don't kick. So, if the player, the youth player, say you've got a high talent and and he's different class and he's excelling, and you're thinking this is a player that can go somewhere, but they don't have that intensity and they don't have that perseverance and resilience. Can you do anything in the environment or as a coach to try and get it out of them? Well, it's again a very difficult one. Uh, the club, the Premier League clubs, if you if you look at the I think about 0.01% of kids entering a Premier League academy actually go on and play in their in their respective first teams. So really, what are they doing to to, to, to try and increase the numbers? You know, if you're if you're spending X amount of money, millions on an academy, you want to return at some stage. So what are the co- so is the mentality of the club is, is the thought process of the club to produce their own players through their academy? I'm sure it is. You only have to look at Will Foden, for example, at Man City, is he going and I going to have a career at Man City? I hope he does because he's an exceptional talent. But how many of them? Man, uh, Chelsea have shown that they have good young players. And if you give them the platform to go and play, they'll, they'll go and play. And you have a manager who's going to give them that. How many managers are actually going to go on and give them, the young players, uh, the opportunity to play games? England won a World Cup at 17s and 19s. You're t- they're good players. If you're winning World Cups at that, but how many of them are going to go and play for their uh, their respective teams? I was at Aspire. I worked at Aspire, I worked at Qatar. I saw this incredible building, incredible infrastructure. How many of them were actually going to go on and play for Qatar in the in the World Cup? It was built for that purpose. You know, how many really, really top players are going to go on and 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 you know play at their uh, the play at the international level at the levels that they need to be playing at? So, a young boy from Northern Ireland, very difficult. You know, the program, the academy now that we've set up at Jordanstown, for the first time prior to leaving, 
they'll get an insight into life about mommy and daddy, for example. You know, so they're in from Sunday nights to Thursday nights. So they're asked to clean their rooms. They're asked to make their, make their food. They're asked to clean their kitchens. They're asked to stay on top of everything. They're asked to train every day. They're asked for two gym sessions. They're asked for analysis sessions. So prior to leaving, it's the first time that a young boy from Northern Ireland will experience life away before actually going away. So we'll see, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, and hopefully we have to affect the tip of the pyramid. At some stage, we have to affect that, you know, the, the quality and level of player playing at international level to replace a Johnny Evans, to replace a Steve Davis. Very difficult for us. Very, very difficult indeed. Brilliant. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, that's my segment done. Jim, flew through it. Much appreciated. I'll bring uh, on here. He's got some questions for the crowd. Brilliant. Jim, how you doing? How are you doing, sir? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Jim, so you were talking about it there, about uh, young Northern Ireland players. Uh, how is the Northern Ireland Elite Academy uh, progressing? And what's a typical week look like for the players and the staff? So we're... we're uh, September, we started this uh, with UEFA and it was fantastic. I convinced them, I hoodwinked them, I brought them to Belfast. Let's just say they, they, uh, they had some really uh, good nights out and we managed to get them over the line. Uh, typical week, Sundays, the boys report in on Sundays, a national squad's train at Jordanstown and we're all in from under 13 right up to under 16. Uh, the boys who enter the academy stay and we train Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoons. The boys are in school. There's seven boys that have relocated uh, to schools in the greater Belfast area. Uh, and they all reside there. They all live there. They all stay there. We transport them to their respective schools. And we pick them up. We bring them on. They're on the pitch from half four to half six every day. We obviously change the sessions, the strength and conditioning, a lot of technical work, tactical work. They play... Uh, with their clubs Friday or Saturday and then they're back in on the Sunday so um, so it's great you know it's a it's a it's a massive change for us uh, in terms of preparation for the best young players whether or not it's going to make a massive difference in the end we hope it will as I've just outlined you know we hope it, it does make a difference and that be and for me the gauge for that is the quality of club they go to and if they're going to Premier League clubs or championship clubs then we're doing we're doing okay but again it, it comes down to the individual nothing changes it comes down we'll give them this they'll take it it'll come down to the mental resilience and the attitude of the young individual if he wants to be a player and he's at a club that's going to give him an opportunity then we'll see yeah for sure so Jim, obviously um, you, you talked about Qatar there you, uh, you were in Australia obviously your playing career in, in the UK uh, what what from your time abroad do you think ha has shaped yourself as as a coach? Um, what have you taken from your time abroad? Obviously, those are diverse uh, places you've worked in and, and different environments. So, what, what do you think you've used to shape yourself now as a coach today? Do you know what? It, it was just the experience. It gave me huge confidence. It was a confidence thing as well. Do you know? It was can I do I have the do I have the confidence to go in into a group of players and and, and be able to coach them? And, and to be able to implement my thoughts and ideas uh, and, uh, you know, and, and really, you know, myself. So I, 
I, at 16, leaving Northern Ireland on the security of that first plane I'd ever been on was the flight to Liverpool. So I was used to actually throwing myself into, you know, a different environment. Uh, so I just wanted to experience it. And, 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 uh, and I was very lucky. I went to a fantastic club in Australia, Melbourne Victory, with, in a fantastic setup at Amy Stadium uh, with other codes, uh, different sports. It was just a great learning experience for me. Uh, so for me, it was being more open-minded, expanding range, uh, met some really good people. Or Terry McFlynn was out there, who'd had a fantastic playing career, was going on now to work at Sydney um, uh, as a technical director, I believe. And, you know, so, so it, was a, it was just a change in uh, getting put, you know what, out of the comfort zone, throwing yeah. out of that comfort zone and seeing how other countries develop players and elite athletes. Qatar was exactly the same, looking at their setup, start, starting from scratch, a blank canvas. And what they did, they, they sh- their knowledge sharing, they brought other uh, fantastic elite teams to Qatar. And they were, and, and to be fair to the teams that traveled very open, here's how, what, what we do, here's how we develop players, here's our infrastructure. Uh, and it was, Again, just a, a great learning curve for me and all the knowledge that I attained there, you know, I, I brought home with me too. So it was, again, it was being open-minded and very honest, uh, you know, n- nothing negative about it at all. Nice. Uh, so obviously you've gone from uh, working with pros um, now down to working with younger players. What challenges have you faced uh, with, you know, obviously going from senior players down to younger players? Has there been a challenge or, um, you know, has it been, you know, a smooth transition? No, it is a challenge because it's a different language. You, you have to speak with them. You know, you have to, again, it's the transference of knowledge. It's it's being able to, for them to understand exactly what you're trying to instill. Uh, and it's, uh, and it's, it can be very difficult because the environment they, these kids are working in, uh, you know, from the environment I came from, it, it's diff- more difficult for them because they they aren't used to that. They aren't used to working at that intensity. Uh, that's no disrespect to any of the clubs here. It's just the way it is. So we're trying to change that mindset around their work ethic, around their attitude to the game. Uh, that can be difficult. Uh, but again, have come coming from here, I understand the psychology of these kids. You know, I know exactly what's going through their mind, uh, albeit. Uh, we're in a different era, and uh, I touched upon this generation thing. I think there 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 is a uh, a lackadaisiness about young players that uh, they have to snap out of, you know. And it's it's showing consistency in your message, consistency in uh, your sessions, and uh, consistency in terms of the levels of intensity they have to work at. And that that has been a challenge for not only me, but you know, the Jared Littles of this world, Alfie Whaley's of this world, who I know will be listening. Uh, he'll tell you exactly he feels he faces similar problems or challenges with the ladies' teams as well, you know. So, listen, we're working in a different environment and uh, to try and get them up to speed for the, the next stage of their careers. Yeah. Um, young players, Jim. So, obviously, yeah. a lot of pressure, you know, to sign for clubs in England or, or wherever. Um what advice would you give to young players in Ireland? Say, you think they should stay at home and play Irish League or League of Ireland, or is there, uh, you know, what? Obviously, you went yourself. So, what what advice yeah. 
if there's anyone listening and has players that are interested in going across the water, do you think it's a better situation for them to stay home now? Or, or where do you stand with that? Well, if, that, if we deal in facts, if kids are going over between the ages of 16 and 18, they're sent two-year scholarships, we have found large percentages of kids come home at 18. Now, we, we can't stop them from going. Do you know what I mean? We're not going to stop a kid from going to Liverpool or Manchester United. That's just a fact. They're going to go. If we develop programs that would allow these kids or create a pathway into their respective first teams back home, learn the game, give them more, they're far more mature, they'll be in a better place. They're, they're playing week in, week out with men, pros uh, who know the game and uh, and have experience and they, they understand the game a little bit more. Then at 18, 19, we may find that players stick. They may stick a little bit more. We have had recent... Uh, there's been recent uh, players who have gone across, Mark Chase, Gavin White, the Dallases of this world, who've all had Irish League experience and have gone on. And 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 a lot will, those guys will, you know, have played for, at senior international level. So there is an argument that they remain here and there is a pathway into their respective first teams here before leaving. We can't stop the, the migration. The migration is going to happen. I know a lot of really good work has happened uh, in the League of Ireland. I know that the academy setups. I know the academy leagues have definitely improved uh, the quality of player, but uh, but again, can you stop it? I don't think you can stop it. Uh, I think that it is a natural progression for these kids that they want to go. Uh, but I think if we could develop a program here, and I'm saying that, and I'm and I and I'm putting a program together for lads at 16 to leave. But if there was a program here that we ultimately, I want us to be successful. And I want these kids to be successful. I want them to go on and have a career in the game. Like I had a career in the game. I, I was very lucky to have a career, a 20-year career playing. I want them to have that same opportunity, but very difficult uh, given the levels they have to get to and the competition now. Yeah. Um, Jim, we talked to Martin O'Neill there a few weeks ago and, and uh, we asked him about, you know, a player that stood out that uh, was a leader for him on the pitch and, uh he talked about Neil Lennon. Obviously, he had him twice as a player at Leicester, and he signed him at Celtic as well. And talked about his drive on the pitch. Um, what what player comes to mind for for you uh, if as if you played alongside them or you've coached to say, you know, I I want that boy in my team. You know, obviously Martin really spoke highly of, of how Neil Lennon drove yeah. team forward. Uh, so, where, what for you or who for you would be stand out in your mind? I know it's a, it's a tough one, but uh, from playing or coaching. Yeah. Yeah, uh, playing. playing uh, I, I think it, it's a difficult one to pull out because each each club has an individual, don't they? Yeah. You know, at a club, there's an like for Martin to say Neil and I, I get that because I play with him. I can get that because he had this he had this in, incredible inner belief. The Dizzy had an, an inner belief. You know, he carried the team without having a man. He was a quiet. He was a quiet genius, if you like. You know, so there are different. You look at them and they're different types. Matty Holland was the same at, at Ipswich. You know, he was captain of the club. He was a great driving force. He was a level of consistency, a bit like Neil, level of consistency, seven out of 10, you know, probably every week. So there were, there's that type and there's the Matt Letizia types. You know, I, I, the, to me, again, I always took personal responsibility. You know, personal responsibility for me was, can I, can I drive people on? Can I influence people? Can, you know, I never, there weren't, there was always great individuals, don't get me wrong, and I and I get that, but 
no one really stands out in terms of that for me. They were they were just great. You know, they were, I had great playing teammates, but you know, I always took personal responsibility in trying to trying to drag things on too. Right. Uh, what was the biggest challenge you faced? You know, going from playing playing to coaching. I think that's all, some some players obviously transitioned to it really well. And how did you find it for yourself? Very difficult. Very very difficult. That transition for me happened very quickly. Very very quickly. I was captain of Ipswich one week, and then the next week a manager of the football club. That was huge. That was a massive transition for me. Albeit I was waiting for the opportunity. I think I'd been waiting for the opportunity for the, the 10 years leading to retiring. And I had a particular focus on going into coaching, managing mostly, but uh, but to be given that opportunity so quickly after playing, uh, I had, a, I had a, a, a plan, I had a structure, I had a, I had a, a strategy for me going into the job, but it would have been more difficult for the players because again, I'd been captain of the club. I was a social manager, a social captain too with them. Uh, I got down, you know, in the trenches with them. Uh, they all knew exactly what type of person I was. So very difficult for them. The transition from coach, for our, from player to manager was very difficult. That that distance between the changing room and the manager's room may only be 12 or 12 feet, but it can be a mile away. It's very, very difficult, very difficult. More difficult for the players because they knew me as a, as a different person. Aye. Uh, Jim, would you say uh, uh, you have a mentor or, or mentors that you bounce things off? Or how does that work for you? You know, it's a pretty common theme today for, for coaches to have mentors. Where do you stand on that? No, I think it's important, very important. And I think there, ha- there has to be an acknowledgement. See, if you don't know something, you got to be, you know, there's no egos here. You got to park an ego. You got to pick up the phone and you got to turn around and say, right, who can I pick up? Listen, I, I was, when I went into the job, I brought along an assistant in Charlie Woods, who had a long history with the club, but also a long history with Sir Bobby Robson, the late great. So if I, if I, and, and Charlie, you couldn't even, Charlie, if I turned around to Charlie, I said, I wonder what Sir Alex would, he'd pick up the phone to Sir Alex. I said, right, Jim, have a chat with him. And I'd go, blah, 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 blah. you know, what? Yeah, ha- hello, Alex. And, but it was so difficult because uh, for me, I could speak to Sir Bobby Robson, for example. Charlie would just pick up the phone. Bobby, have a word with Jim. He's famous. So I had I had people like that I could speak to. So it was again a very humbling experience. And 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 so Bobby would turn around and say, "But well, what what do you think you would do, or what do you want to do, and what's your desire to come? What, what do you want? You know, do you want the boy in the team, or do you want the boy to go? Because there's two different strategies here." So I, I was very fortunate at that club to have that sort of people to bounce off. But a lot of trial and error. Listen, I would speak to Michael a lot, or did speak to Michael a lot. You can't get him now because he's held It's hectic as general, but I would bounce things off Michael, uh, and he's been brilliant for me. And uh, so there are other, other people in the game I've been able to develop relationships with. And as part of my role through our coach education, uh, I've seen uh, fantastic coaches come to uh, Belfast and being able to have conversations with those guys too. So there, there are there are one or two that I would very trusted friends. So I'm again very fortunate in that. Brilliant. Uh, what advice would you give to uh, a young coach starting out in his journey, maybe taking courses, or uh, you know a coach that's been in a while? What, what advice do you have for for coaches that are you know that are that are starting out or, or are within the the game now? 
Just get on the ladder as quickly as you can. The biggest regret is making excuses not to get on my coaching ladder at a very early age. The moment, the moment I went on my coaching badges, it was like a light. It was that you know light bulb moment. It just opened up the game. It was an appreciation of all the work that coaches and assistant money had done over a, a long period for me. Get on the ladder. Really just start developing your own coaching stays, right? Learn as much as you can. Learn off other people. Go and watch sessions. Go and experience other football clubs. Go and travel. Just just be as open-minded as you possibly can. And then develop your own stay. You know, you can be a pro-licensed coach or an A-licensed coach and have the badge, but it's experience. Go and, go and make mistakes. Don't be frightened of making mistakes. Park your ego at the door. Just go and enjoy it. A lot of things that are happening now in coach education, for example, the Danish FA are looking uh, as part of their whole appraisal system about the personality of the coach, having a personality. You think back, I think back of the coaches that I work with, and it was their personality, it was their enthusiasm. The sessions might have been crap, but you never even thought of that. You just thought, oh, I got something today. Why? Because the coach, you know, the coach was enthusiastic. Of course, there has to be a progression. Of course, you, got, you, you have to learn something from them. But there is something to be said about having that sort of personality and stamping your personality on your sessions, you know, and having, you know, knowledge. Knowledge is very, very important. And, uh, and, and just be very open-minded. And even the older you get, listen, you're never too old to learn. Absolutely not. You go and there is so much exposure now to football. You've got so many opportunities to travel. Not at the minute, of course, but you've got so many opportunities. And and I find that if I pick up the phone to a club, no anywhere, Timbuktu, they open their doors to you. Very, very few clubs actually shut down and don't let you in, don't allow you in and don't allow you to learn. So get out there and, and expose yourself to as much as you can. Jim, if you were uh, hiring coaches tomorrow or managers within your, uh, obviously, elite academy, what traits do you look for in a, in a coach? Uh, and what's, what's important for you? Just that personality, uh, knowledge, uh, understanding of the game, understanding of uh, progression, understanding of development of youth, uh, having, having a, a, a way uh, with uh, how you carry yourself, you know, how you communicate, you know, you find that sometimes I'm speaking to coaches and their heads down, even young players, but even coaches, you know, they're, they're sometimes they can feel intimidated. Uh, sometimes they can feel inhibited, you know, uh, just go out there and express yourself, have a very open, honest conversations uh, with members of staff. I, I run a very, uh, I open door policy with us. You know, we're working on curriculums, Etc. Now we're working at, and I hate this word, this DNA thing. You know, at the end of the day, if 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 he's a good player, he's a good player. But why is he a good player? What's his what's his strengths? What's his weaknesses? Uh, I get all that. Of course, I do, and it's important that we do have our own DNA and maybe a, a bespoke program. But uh, but I think it's about it's about the the attitude and the application of the coach to how he applies himself. I love people that are trying to improve themselves all the time. Brilliant. Uh, Jim, so All Ireland League, obviously, um, yeah. you know, it's been discussed uh, in the media and things like that. Um, you know, is it possible? Is money there? You know, what is what is what do you think uh, that would do for the development of players in Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland? How do you think, and where do you think uh, you stand on it, or how do you how do you think it would fit into the plans? I, to be honest, it's there's so 
it's so much clouded in, in mystery at, at the moment, right? But can, can Northern Ireland, can, can the teams of Northern Ireland sustain that or be resourced? I don't think they can. Yeah. Because at the moment, right, we're working off a two, three night a week program. That hasn't changed so much. Plus, the league, they'd have to change the, the league format in terms of uh, summer league or, you know, and, yeah. and have to change. And so there's an awful lot to still to be decided. Would it improve the quality? I'm sure it would. Of course it would. If you're dealing with that competition, you only have to look at the strengths of a Dundalk, for example. And even in my time when I was working with Megala Chamwick Rovers, you know, you look at that side and you look how competitive they are. You know, it's you know they're doing fantastically well because they're yeah. they're contacting and they're getting exposed to European football. They're sending around that. They're geared towards that. We're still not at that level, so there's still a lot to still to work on and still a lot to work through. Uh, would it develop the player? Develop the player up here, I would suggest, more so than uh, the League of Ireland, but who knows? Yeah. All right, Jim, I'm going to pass you over to John O'Rourke. I think he's got one final question, and just to kind of close it out, for, but I uh, appreciate your time today. Cheers. Thank you. Brilliant. All right, Jim, great stuff so far. I got. Uh, I actually have two, maybe, maybe three questions, Jim, but one of them can be real quick, so... The first one was, do you have issues with the playing styles between the elite academy and the clubs they return to? Or do you have an agreement with those clubs in, in relation to the style they should be playing? No, we don't have that. We don't. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the clubs, we've worked with the clubs and the communication with the clubs has greatly improved. You'll probably, you'll probably find that they don't suggest that. But uh no, we don't. We don't get involved in terms of what Harry, uh, their club, their respective club, set up. We don't. We don't get involved in that. We don't interfere. At the end of the day, the club, we're borrowing the club, the players from the club, and they've been kind enough to do that. They're still registered for the club. What we're working on is the technical abilities of the players. We're giving them a few uh, tactical solutions they have to find out for themselves, and also we're developing the individual. So the clubs have bought into that. So it's the individual, they're talented individuals. They go in and hopefully they go and improve their respective clubs and their teams within the clubs. So uh, no, we're it's it's no, we don't. We try not to stay. We stay away from that. We we try and build on the individual, and hopefully the clubs benefit that. Obviously, when the kids are sold or they go across the water, all the, all the, the the proceeds go to the club. The compensation goes directly to the club. Excellent. Talking a little bit earlier, you talked about Michael O'Neill. Can you tell us a little bit about your time with him at, at Rovers, at Shamrock Rovers? Yeah, he uh, he came and got me. There was uh, Trevor Crowley had left, and he came and he and he asked me what I come come down, and I said, of course, would. Uh, and what struck me right away was the uh, was the quality of the group, and Har Megal had. Uh, got this group of players together and uh, had formulated a plan to obviously to win the league and be competitive in Europe. And what I noticed was, again, the intensity in training uh, was very high. Uh, and I recognized right away that there was a lot of good players. And what Mega was able to do was be able to transfer his thoughts and ideas to the players. And, uh, and then the players go and deliver that. He was very, very good at that, and that has obviously gone through, uh, the, you know, his his career with Northern Ireland. So uh, his planning was good. He structured training very well. 
and the players bought into it. The you know, he had a very healthy respect with the players. There was great communication with the players. There was a good feel factor within the group, and again, that was that that carried on the results. Excellent. So probably and just dovetailing there with Michael obviously resigning and stepping down from the Northern Ireland team. Do you feel that you're that was something that that's a job that you would like to take? Obviously, your experience and your pathway would say that you have that experience to take over at the senior level. Yeah, I would. I would always love an opportunity. I didn't have any feelings uh, when I was asked the question uh, a few months ago. And I never hid away from that question when I was managing at QPR or, or at Ipswich. I felt that at the time, at the time, I wasn't experienced enough. Uh, I hadn't gone through what a manager should experience before you enter, in my opinion, before you enter into the international uh, arena. So uh, I was a viable candidate eight years ago. And for the last six years, I've been continuous my professional development. I would suggest that my CVs improve. But in saying all that, I think the three candidates that have been mentioned are worthy candidates, and any one of them would be a very worthy successor. I, down the lane, would love an opportunity. If it's not now and if it's later, great. What I'll do is continue in my professional development uh, and uh, and see what happens. I think whoever does get the job uh, is walking into an environment now where the players are really leading it, right, which is great. He's got a fantastic backroom staff. Whether or not they stay is another question. But certainly there is a different mindset around the Northern Ireland setup that has been for a long, long time. And, and a lot of that is down to what Michael has achieved and he's done an incredible job. Excellent. Last one, Jim, probably the one we ask everybody is, with all your experience now, yeah. what advice would you give to a young Jim at Jilton? I would spend more time developing my mindset around continuous professional development <laughs> at the time, you know, when you're living through, when you're 20, 21, 22, you're just enjoying the game. Right. I then went from being a reserve to a first-team player. Loved the adulation, loved it, right? and got probably caught up in all that. And uh, I wouldn't waste a single second in terms of trying to improve myself, both, you know, technically four pillars, you know, and also just being exposed to the game traveling away, not getting caught up on beach holidays and whatever else. Yes, of course, you need your downtime, but just expand the knowledge. If I'm a young coach now, I would be traveling everywhere. I would be trying to get as much information as I can and using it. It's like over a 20-year period, I was preparing for life after football in terms of coaching or management, and I was very, very fortunate to work with great coaches and great managers, and all that information was stored trying to get that information out, creating my own identity, you know, stamping my own personality on a club or but that was the most important thing. And I think I'm still developing that. I'm still working on that. So could I walk into a football club tomorrow and, and put together, here's a Jimmy Jilton plan? Well, I, think I, have. I think I can. I'm 50. Could have done it at uh, 43 starting off. Not really. At 43, you're walking in after being a footballer, or 41, whatever it was. You know, 37, tell me what I'm talking about, 37. <laughs> I didn't get, no, and no other profession could you walk off from being a footballer to being a manager and get a job. And what other profession? You, you're, it's bonkers. You should be sacked. The chairman should have been sacked. He even offered me the job in the first place. <laughs> so, but I'm very grateful. I have to say, we're, we're very lucky. 
to be in this in this fraternity. Very lucky to be involved in football. And I've been very fortunate, you know, to be in it from the age of 16 to now. So I feel, you know, I'm blessed in that way. Jim, that's fantastic. We appreciate your humbleness and your, and your time today. Uh, we, we thank you for joining us. Excellent. Top class. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.